Hello and welcome to episode nine of Shoot the Shirt, the podcast where I interview men because I want men to talk. Today I'm joined by Connor Duffy. Thank you very much for uh, being here today. Um, welcome. Thanks for having me, Lewis. Great. Um, so we've been intro through a mutual friend. Um, he said that you are the man to speak to on all things uh, the topic that we're that we're covering today. So I'm really looking forward to this one. I'm really excited to to hear a little bit about your story and just sort of get into it a little bit more complex and just sort of go through these issues uh, one by one. But first and foremost, Connor, as with every guest that I have, I always start with the biggie. And in your own words, what makes you a man? Well, that's a really good question. Um, what does it? I would say, um, God, purpose. To make it succinct, um, I think purpose for me is the biggest one. I think purpose is what, for myself, was the day I turned from uh, "quote unquote" a boy to a man. I think I had a reason to be here. Um, think anything prior to that uh, if you're living um, a life kind of just sort of self-serving you're not quite there yet for me uh, the day I realized that I had another reason to be here apart from just sort of my own experiences I think was the day that that I became a man if that makes sense yeah no definitely I think there's two things that I really love about that question and uh, I think it's something that I might make into a, a clip is the is the huge pause from everyone before mm. they, before they say say an answer. I wasn't um, expecting that at all. Well, of all the questions I thought you were going to ask me, I even made some notes prior to the podcast. <laughs> I wasn't expecting yeah. that. It's 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 a biggie. It's an important one for me. I think th I've noticed that a lot of people are pausing around it, and I think there's two things. One, they want to give the right answer, but two, it's also that making sure it is the right answer is something mm. as well. Uh, but yeah purpose seems to come up a lot and i think you've uh, for me you've hit the nail on the head i think yeah. it definitely defines defines me as a man and yeah you're right yeah. i think that's the the turning point for for boy to man um so sort of speaking about that kind of let's sort of go all the way back to the uh, the beginning or as far back as you you'd sort of want to go do you want to talk us through your sort of like earlier years and, and, and what and what that was like for you yeah absolutely um my early years are probably quite uh, contradictory to where I am now in life. Um, grew up uh, as, a, as a young man, he was very interested in things. Um, so, grew up as a martial artist, was trained um, uh, as a martial artist from the age of about five or six years old. Um, and whilst I was uh, doing that and going through my years at school, I was also very into things like art and creating things, um, movies, etc. Um, I was very late to the party in terms of I wasn't really interested in going out and girls and all that at a young age. I was very interested, again, just in subjects and ideas and, and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, but because of that sort of martial arts background, I was the kind of nerd whose art bag you didn't want, really want to steal. Um, that was kind of my identity, you know, identity growing up. But I was, throughout school, I, I became, that's when I first, I think, became interested in sort of the, the current situation as is and should we say the status quo and I found myself rubbing, being quite abrasive um, when I was thrust into a, an academic environment at school where I believed I could have potentially had a lot of talent that could have been tapped into 
if the right people would have come into my life at the right time. And I, unfortunately, I believe sort of the, there weren't the required role models that I think should have been there at, uh, in, in the institutions where I went to school. And that's when I first realized that, hang on, down the line, I might be interested in becoming that person because you're sort of looking around for the individual. And if you can't find that individual, unfortunately, you have to become an individual yourself. Whether that's through um, sporting prowess or something creative like art, there wasn't uh, anybody who saw me as a young man and thought, this kid is throwing absolutely everything into this. Um, he needs he needs somebody to show him the way. People were too busy and, you know, dare I say it, with regards to teaching, you get a lot of people who can't do, therefore they teach. And in that situation, they're not necessarily amazing at recognizing talent. That's not to say that I was the most talented individual in the world, but I was hardworking. Um, so I was very anti-establishment. I was that lad at 16, 17 years old, used to turn up to school and um, had peroxide white hair and used to wear Dr. Martens instead of shoes and kind of threw my middle finger up to the um, the, the status quo, as, as I said, of, of, of school. Um, very different now, obviously, being, being involved in the military. I was very anti, you know, combined cadet force. You never would have seen me doing any of that. Um, I hated it. I hated the confinement. I hated the um, people wanting me to be the same as everybody else because... In all honesty, I didn't have the res probably the respect I should have had for my superiors in those positions. Um, you know, fast forward a few years, left school, did decide not to go to university uh, because I believed that I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 21. And I distinctly remember the night I was on a night out uh, in a nightclub back home and I saw some friends from university. And I think I asked one of them, so when are you going to go back to university to, to restart your, your year? I said, no, no, we're, we're all done. I thought to myself, it's been three years already. And they said, yeah, yeah, it's been three years. I thought, oh, God, I'm, I'm not a millionaire. Not I've, a millionaire. Uh, I've literally just, yeah, I, I've literally wasted these, these three years. Um, so spent a bit of time working as uh, effectively a personal trainer, um, ran a, a CrossFit gym for a few years. Nice. Where that really gave me a a huge step up in mentorship and I was actually able to be that coach actually that I probably always wanted in my life and what I found the most rewarding element of that was it'd be young individuals coming in either just left school or were at school and were looking for that thing that that home to come to and we were very very lucky that I was able you know we were able to provide that home for them yeah and now I realized and okay this is my passion my passion is coaching mentoring um, and facilitating others to become the best that they can be yeah um, once that was done I realized that uh, you know I needed a, a, a trade something that could help me out so I turned my hand to um, aboriculture effectively like tree surgery spent four or five years working for um, UK power networks doing all that um, had a had a good enough time uh, and then I felt like I was coming towards the end of my 20s and I really needed something that had that um, higher purpose, something that really, really, and there was one thing that was not ticked off. I had, by this point, I had, uh, I had fought in mixed martial arts for, for a few years and competed at a relatively high level, and that really consumed my life for a period of time. Um, I had, uh, I, I'd written a book, uh, I'd spent some time off and gone away and written a book for, for a number of months, and I'd self-published that, and that box was ticked. 
um, I'd done a, you'd kind of done everything I wanted to set out and do, and there was just one thing that was left, and that was the kind of itch. I was like, maybe if I join the army, who knows? Um, one day, you know, driving to a job, and a good friend of mine turns around. He says, "Oh, you ever thought about joining the army as an officer?" I said, "You know, what, what's that?" And he kind of gave me the Goodwill Hunting line, which was, uh, you know, if you join the army um, as a as a soldier, you'll have a great five years. You'll have some great stories to tell. After five years, you'll come back and you'll kind of resume your life. But if you join the army as an officer, I'll I'll never see you again. That that that's you to a T. I thought. Okay, well, if that's the case, I probably should apply. Probably should find out what it is first. I probably then should apply. Um, applied, thinking that I would never, never ever in a million years get in. Left half of the application form blank because I didn't have a degree. Hadn't gone to Africa to do some charity work and build some wells. I just lived a fairly, according to them, regular existence, just sort of working and making my way through life. And just took each stage as it, as it came. But it was the one for probably the first thing I've ever done ever where I just completely threw myself into it and thought, you know yeah. what, if I fail this, I fail this, but I will absolutely not leave any stain unturned. Uh, you know, fast forward in the application process, it takes about two, two years or so to get into Sandhurst. Um, and I eventually got in and walked up the old college steps with 28 days left before I was too old to do so. Um, so how's that for timing? Um, walked in and in all honesty, I haven't really looked back since. Amazing. Well, there's, it's a, it's a great story and it's, uh, we're obviously going to delve into it in a little bit more detail, but I, um, I really want to sort of get involved with that early, early stage and, and that lack of mentorship, because I, st I still believe that that is a, is a big issue with, um, what's happening uh, today. I think we're getting the wrong mentors, the wrong, um, people that are, are being followed and sort of being listened to as, as, as young men. Do you, do you see anything that can be, can be done for that? Or is it, is it a school issue? What, what do you see as sort of those stages? Well, I think we are potentially prioritizing academia over things, or should we say lessons that we could be teaching young individuals that aren't necessarily on a curriculum. What you have is you have an establishment where somebody can go to school their entire life then go to university they stay at university get their, their masters then leave their university with a degree in say perhaps something like geography or english which is i can totally agree is probably a very interesting subject to uh, partake in and everything and it's a great area of expertise however there's a very limited amount of careers you can go into so they turn around and go well i want to i don't want to go you know, leave my degree behind or whatever. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to go into teaching because that's kind of naturally what you do. But the teaching of the subject is what comes first. And what really should come first is the prioritization of wanting to work with young individuals and mentor them and help them. Um, you know, my, my mother works at a school as a sort of student support manager. And I would be quite confident in saying that she has a much more proactive and positive influence on young individuals' lives than the teachers do. Because the teachers are there for a reason, they're there to teach yeah. a subject. They've got massive, uh, shall we say, they have goals they need to achieve, they have deadlines they need to make, so they need to get so much in a certain amount of time and to get a certain grade. And it's kind of out of their hands. But I've spent a large period of time around teachers, whether it's you know, mainly secondary school teachers, and I have to say, the conversation was very lacking inspiration. It's very, very lacking motivation. And 
these individuals aren't necessarily somebody that me as a young man and I had a big character and I and I definitely needed a big character to match me in order to to guide me um, that was just wasn't found yeah it's um, I, I uh, had a previous guest on uh, by the name of Josh he, he actively goes into schools right now and is, is sort of doing these sort of sessions they're obviously additional they're not part of the curricular but he's um, sitting with with young men from sort of like eight all the way up to sort of 16 and having these conversations with them having open conversations which i think is really great but it's yeah just bringing that to scale i was really fortunate the i my my school had loads of male teachers which is quite a rarity in itself uh, and within that i ended up i was failing well i say failing i wasn't receiving reaching my potential so the school put in a, a program that basically if you were failing in five of your GCSEs your predicted grade you got a teacher to like help you through it and it was my my maths teacher uh, his name was Mr Angus and to be honest with you I don't think he wanted to be a teacher so it was sort of <laughs> the opposite of that so he yeah he was a great sort of role role model I found him quite an interesting guy he Obviously, he was very talented, very good mathematician, a very good teacher, but he also was just, he essentially didn't give a fuck. It was just quite amusing at like, uh, being in his lessons and also having that sort of mentorship. So I was in a bit of a, a different situation where I had that um, mentor from a teacher, which was which was great, but it's, it's rare. It's definitely rare. And I think you end up with boys, young men looking elsewhere not necessarily finding the right role model they're sort of looking at uh an andrew tate for an example and sort of looking at this uh opulence as being the ultimate goal whereas i, I think you would agree that that isn't the ultimate goal of of every man is to uh, to make to make as much money as possible you said yourself you wanted to be a millionaire by 21. Um, i imagine once you realize that wasn't the case how did that how did that sort of view change um it's it's a tough one and you know i think again it comes to that little little bit of naivety in life um it's interesting what you're saying about sort of role models is is, is throughout school you know being a bigger character you naturally become either a class clown or you find yourself in trouble and throughout my secondary school career i found myself spending more time out of a classroom being sent out than i spent inside of a classroom and I distinctly remember there was there was one teacher who I was doing my usual I was I was acting up in a, in a class playing the class clown trying to get some attention and he sends me out the class and I thought oh god here we go again and I hadn't been sent out of a class by this guy before so I thought oh god he's going to absolutely freak out so I go outside wait outside and I'll come and see you later so he leaves me outside for a, a good couple of minutes and I'm just sort of sitting there alone in my thoughts thinking oh god this is going to be an absolute grilling and he comes outside, closes the door behind him and just says to me, just turns to me and just says, is everything all right? And it, it just took me completely back. Went, what? And he said, is, every, is everything all right? You just don't really see yourself. You're, you're acting up and I know you're not really, you know, I just want to check, make sure that you're okay. And I remember just sort of standing in this corridor and almost being like brought to tears by this person who was just absolutely, you know, solely interested in, in me and how I was doing it and actually had correctly identified that everything wasn't quite all right and that's probably was the reason why I was acting up or, or doing whatever um, and that's a that's a real rarity and that 
that involves a lot of emotional intelligence to be able to, where he sees that himself and he identifies that when he's like that because of XYZ is not quite right. Therefore, when he sees it in another individual, he can identify it and hopefully help them uh, rectify it. That was a complete rarity. And that was literally one experience out of you know, dozens and dozens of teachers. I think for me, you know, then you leave school and I was like, right, what's, what's the goal? What's the objective here? What's the prize? You, once you become very disenfranchised with the education system, and you don't like the people who are teaching, right? So if you're not looking at the people that teach you and they don't inspire you and then they turn around to you and say, well, you need to work hard and one day you'll be like me. You have a, you know, you have a leniency to turn around and say, absolutely not. <laughs> That's not what I want to do. And kind of it has the adverse effect as opposed to actually inspiring you to be involved in academia or work hard at a certain subject. So I left and I thought, there's absolutely no way I'm going to university because university is leading me down this path. I didn't really know what I wanted to do there anyways. So I think when you then leave school, it was like, well, where can I put all this energy into? And I was like, okay, I can put it into something, you know, I can put it into a business, I can put it into trying to make money. Or, But for me, what it really was, it was just me trying to be as successful. And the only way I can really measure that, the only metric was was money. To show everybody else that they had been to university and wasted their time and i had made the correct decision by choosing not to go to university but it absolutely really in hindsight probably wasn't the right decision to make because i didn't really achieve much in a three-year period and i could have just gone to university had a whale of a time uh, and, and and got a degree and it wouldn't have done me any harm um, but i think i had a I had a bee in my bonnet and i had a point to prove uh, and that was to be anti-establishment even after school had finished was to be anti-education um, and that's a, that's a shame I don't think people should leave school that way and maybe it was a me problem and the likelihood is it probably was mostly me but it would have been nice to have encountered uh, an individual at some point who helped me turn a corner and maybe change my mind yeah I don't I don't think it's a unique problem I think there's definitely a number of people that will have experienced similar things and wanted to to go on to do different things for me university was a was a great experience i was an extremely i'm still pretty introverted as a person but university brought me out of my shell significantly so i definitely believe there's benefits to both both sides of the coin and it's just what seems and feels right at the time is probably not necessarily the wrong decision it's the right decision right then like you say everything seems to happen for a reason to start sort of start to fit in so it's sort of like a yin and yang with yourself though like so you obviously did the the mixed martial arts which is an extreme discipline to do that for, for so many years like what was life like outside of school within that were the role models there how did that how, mm. how was that? so for me martial arts was a, was a safe space and it was where I could really somewhere where I could go and I could actually be myself and what was really interesting is that I would go to school and I would be this extremely kind of um, sort of loud individual who was probably a bit of a gobshite in all honesty um, not really actually giving anything away in terms of like myself but kind of putting on this act and um, trying to be liked or trying to be accepted I suppose for me then when I would go home, pack my bag, 
it was essentially a ritual and I, and I had done martial arts you know even though when I got to my teenage years I'd done martial arts since I was five six years old so for me it genuinely is it's like second nature it's like walking and I found myself when I would then go training I would be just completely zen and I'd be a very very quiet individual because and this is something that I I, I identify with myself the the quieter I am the happier I am so a lot of the time I actually am quite content people will turn around to me and be like are you are you okay and you don't you don't, you don't potentially you know, see yourself or you're being very quiet or vacant perhaps and the reality is it's actually I'm I'm okay I'm very content therefore I become quiet because um, I'm not filling the the white noise and with martial arts it's a it is an extreme discipline but you're completely liberated it's like going to the gym there's rules that you have to follow and everything but I know the rules, I know the social cues, I know the etiquette. So therefore there's no working out, there's no gauging, there's no, um, there's, there's, there's nothing that's left to be, uh, there's nothing ambiguous. And I found that with martial arts as a teenager, I found that as a little bit of saving grace. Now I, I lost it a little bit when I was uh, perhaps 16, 17, because I was doing mixed martial arts and this is now, you're talking you know, 13, 14 years ago. And people didn't understand what MMA was back then. They saw it as cage fighting and, and all that. And I had recently moved to a school that was uh, at a much different demographic. When you try to explain to these people what it was, they didn't understand it at all. They played rugby, they played hockey, they played cricket. And anything else was this just, you know, step into obscurity. It was like, well, what is that? So I kind of, after a while, thought, well, in order to be liked, I'll just play rugby, and I'll turn, I'll, I'll, I'll turn away from the martial arts part. And I think it was something I, I, I didn't enjoy my time playing rugby. Um, I, I think rugby would have been great if I would have picked it up as a, you know, a, a seven or eight year old, and it was all I knew. But in all honesty, a martial artist playing rugby just doesn't doesn't make sense. You know, martial arts is a very, uh, is in terms of culture, is literally the polar opposite. And in terms of a sport, again, it's polar opposite. And uh, so for me with martial arts, it's, and again, so, you know, I got my, I've, I've gone through the whole process. I've, I've gone through, uh, you know, training as a young man, wanting to fight, eventually plucking up the courage to fight, then fighting, then competing a lot, then coaching. And now I'm coming to the point where, you know, I got my black belt in jiu-jitsu, I've ticked boxes, and now I actually use jiu-jitsu and training as more of a means of kind of, re, call it, you know, sort of recalibration, um, like re-zeroing a weapon. It's like me zeroing myself. It's like, okay, I bring myself back to zero by going to training, doing something that I've done since I was a little boy. Uh, and so I've kind of come full circle, and it's quite interesting now being you know, a 30-year-old man who goes to training more for now for mental reasons. And I see this 19-year-old, this 19 year old boy come into training and I know why he's there it's because he's watched UFC and he's got these grand expectations of potentially one day maybe if I train I'll be on the UFC or Cage Warriors or whatever it's a very nice thing to say and I'll never ever ever stop anybody from going through that process I think it's a great process to go through but it's just it's a very much you, you see in martial arts the, the, the full circle happen in front of your eyes it's, it's, it's very good to see yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting sport. It's something I've never never done myself, but everyone seems to say that 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 sort of that step onto the mat is like a 
the switch just goes and you're you're in that zone and it's solely there i imagine otherwise you're going to get very injured um, so. <laughs> yeah i mean I, even so you know on, on a day-to-day basis the amount of niggles and sores that i have um in my body just from just from exhausting it effectively as soon as i step on the mats i put a gear on I step onto the mats and it's like i become as supple as a child again it's like my body just remembers um, so yeah, in, in you are that's it. You are you're in the moment. That's a lovely right. way to be. I think I think every man is convinced they'll be a professional athlete. I think thirty is probably the age where we just go. You know what? Maybe not this time. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be worth it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, yeah, I've uh, I've taken up golf. I've still got vision. So I'm, uh, you never know. I might get the PGA. It's um, yeah. It's it's. I think it's just. I, I, no matter what I turn my hand to. Um, I remember I was even talking to George recently about about rowing and everything, and you know uh, I've always used rowing as part of my conditioning. And I remember talking to him about times and stuff like that. He's like, "Yeah, you need to get this time in order to get into GB." And I remember even sort of saying to him, oh, "Who's who's the rower? You know, Stephen Redgrave. I, how old was he when he got into rowing? He was really old when he got into rowing, right?" And he was like, "No, no, he was really old by our standards. I mean, like he was like 23." Not yeah. like not thirty one. Okay, maybe not then. Maybe it's not going to work. Yeah, just trying to find that sport. There'll be one. Yeah. <laughs> be darts potentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I want to sort of look at your. There's, there's there's a couple of interesting things in there. Like the first one that I really want to touch on because I, I think this is an important one, especially for a lot of young men. Is you, you saw that sixteen seventeen impressionable impressionable age, want to impress people, want to have friends. You just, you decided to make that switch um, and start to play rugby. Is is social pressures and, and that sort of thing, is that something that you're well past now and sort of like what's your other experiences been with, with social pressures? Because it's, it's a huge thing and we're all guilty of it. And it's, I think we'll always be guilty of it, um, but it's just coping and yeah, mm. so to get your side of it. I mean, are you, are you truly ever past it? I, I, I don't. I don't think you. I don't think you necessarily are. Um, and I think that's kind of when you hear a lot of uh, Stoics talk about really what Stoicism is is not doing what you initially desire or what you kind of instinctively desire and kind of pushing past that. And I believe it's every man's. You know, everybody can. You know, walk around and say, "Well, I'm an alpha male. I just genuinely don't care what anybody thinks about me, and I do what I want. And I beat my own drum." I don't think they're necessarily being completely truthful. I think there's a certain level of you can try and cash out and go, "You know what? I kind of killed the ghost, and I don't um, care so much." And I think for me, being 30 was a huge turning point. Like I'm, I'm massively enjoying my 30s because of that, because you do get to a level of where. It's almost exhaustion where you just don't care anymore because you're like, you know what? It is what it is. And if people don't accept me or don't like me for whatever reason, that's their problem. But I think mainly it comes down to having self-worth or self-value. And the only way you're going to achieve that is by going out there and doing, doing things that you value yourself. For example, a big one for me was I don't think I would have valued myself as much unless I had stepped in the ring or cage and actually fought because it was something that I valued. And I think once I started doing that, I kind of that was a bit of a turning point for me in wanting to be accepted and all that. 
because I had value in myself. So if somebody didn't want to get on board with me, then that was their problem. And I think the second one for me was uh, was was joining the army and now doing what I doing what I do. And I think now because it was something that it was a it was a path less trodden. It was something that was difficult. It was arduous. It was something that you accomplish. I think then that then leads the individual to then go well. If I don't get accepted into whatever group, then whatever. But everybody is, to an extent, a chameleon. Everybody, to an extent, is putting on a mask in order to fit into a certain environment. That's, that's human nature. Is how we survive. If you stick out in every single environment that you thrust yourself into, you're just not going to survive. You're going to have a really, really hard time. As a youngster, um, yeah, I, I was privy to it to an extent, and my stint of um, bending to it was very, very short-lived, I believe. And I think I never truly immersed myself in it anyway, because I knew I was kind of losing myself, and I just want to do that. I think I've always, to an extent, marched to my own beat. I've entertained things, and I think the whole rugby thing and turning my back on really who I was um, uh, happened. But only I think I only really dipped my toe in, and I tried it out. Very early on, knew it wasn't for me. And I think I effectively entertained it for a period of time. And I think I valued the wrong people. I made friends with probably people who didn't really want to be friends with me. I was trying to make friends with the cool kids and whatever. And actually now, in, in, in hindsight, in retrospect, they, they weren't as cool as I thought they were, but obviously that's always the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think the, the big one for me is just sort of finding that identity and purpose within yourself and going well that's 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 who I am and, and kind of then creating your own path experience and age is a massive thing and you see it a lot of time even when people enter relationships they'll lose themselves they'll lose their identity and I do tend to, I've, I've been privy to it I've been guilty of it massively you know where I've fallen from where who I am uh, and there's one little trick that I always kind of use um, and that's, I, I, I just, I, I always ask Momo, and Momo is the nickname my dad gave me when I was a little, little boy. And what I always do is, if I find myself, I'm falling away from who I am, I always look back and I ask Momo, and I always say, right, like, what does Momo think of this? And Momo is always right, and basically Momo is just another word for my gut. Yeah. And if I walk into somewhere, I'm in an environment, and Momo's screaming at me, in my 20s, I used to suppress him. And I used to kind of, you know, ignore him. Now in my 30s, I always listen to Momo. Like he literally, he is the driving factor beyond, you know, for most of my decisions. Because I find him to be far more accurate than sort of, you know, the, the, the prefrontal cortex of my brain, who, you know, seems to make these logical decisions. He knows straight away. And I think that, for me, was maturity and growing up. I think as a child, you know exactly what, what you want to do, you know exactly where you want to be, and you know exactly who you want to spend your time with. And then what happens is that you go through this thing called apparently growing up, where you just unlearn your natural instincts as a child, and you kind of forcibly thrust yourself into environments where you're not naturally supposed to be in. And then when you get to 30, you then turn around and go, actually, you grow up by actually becoming a child again in that weird yeah, that kind of weird circle where you know when you get children and they just seem to really pick up on things and they'll just be like I don't like him and you're like well, why and they're like I just don't like it I, I want to go home I don't want to be here 
and you're like, that's so illogical, that's so irrational, like, well, why? And the reality is, is because they know. And I think you know and I know when you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, you're with a group of friends. And if I really was to give advice to, to be honest, 99% of my advice to people now is, I literally just say, what does your gut tell you? Just ask my mate. Nice. That's a, yeah, nice way of uh, of looking at it. I um, really, I think there's there's a couple of a couple of things that I really want to pick out from that as well. Is like one thing when I turned thirty as well was uh, I I had a similar vision to yourself, millionaire, retired by thirty. I now live in a world where I want to work forever. I never want to retire. Like I want to enjoy what I'm doing. So like I'm never gonna. Never going to stop that. But one of my things that I sort of picked up when I sort of turned 30 was the wheel of life and having these sort of like eight sections to, to your life. So it's very hard when you've got eight things to focus on to become lost in one thing. So whether that's a relationship or whether that's a, a hobby or whether that's um, a family member or whatever that might be, as long as you're, you have a more full life, essentially of a wheel rather than just a, a section, you're always going to be moving forward. You're always going to be doing, like you say, doing what you want to do is in that sort of child phase and just essentially enjoying life without feeling any pressure. Because if something's wrong within one, you sort of have seven things that are outlets and things that allow you to to try to try and sort of move away from that rather than being crushed or potentially feel pressure or feel like that you need to fix it or do something that you didn't want to do to make that work because you've got such a an abundance essentially so that's uh, that's my my view on it which is uh, sort of a different angle than speaking yeah about. I think you're exactly right I uh, I think growing up even as a young man in my 20s I was that guy who who wouldn't eat a Domino's pizza because it was like, you know, I've, I've got to be good. I've, and you realize that, and I see it, that's probably the biggest killer I see it in, in young men at the moment when it comes to even if they want to say, if they, they came in and I know I want, I want to fight, and da, 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 this is just going to take time. You know, Rome wasn't built, but it's going to take you 10 years to get there. Yeah. But because when you're younger, you're, you're extremely impatient and you want everything almost instantaneously. So therefore what you do is you become so overly dedicated in order to get the immediate success that you desire. And maturity tells you that this isn't going to happen overnight. So actually the best thing I can do is to not burn out. Because all these people, they come in, they, and they're absolutely 100% in. They live and breathe jiu-jitsu or MMA or whatever. They never last. And, and you see it all the time with with um, with officer training. The people that came in, that came in hot, like they just lived and breathed it, they were the ones that didn't necessarily last and definitely didn't do very well. And the ones that did very well were the ones that had this amazing thing called balance, where, yeah, you know what you can do? You can work Monday to Friday quite hard, pretty, pretty damn hard actually, and then you can go out for a drink on a Friday. And you know what? It's not going to affect your fitness. And you know what? It's not going to undermine all the hard work you've done during the week. What it's actually going to do is, even if you went out absolutely steaming and you woke up the next day and you felt disgusted with yourself, it actually helped you refocus because you'd actually wake up the next day and you feel like you're inspired to now make up for the 
apparent lost ground that you've had. I was that guy who you know, very rarely drank, ate super clean, and it didn't allow me to perform whatsoever because I put so much pressure on myself to perform. Uh, where I had done everything to 110%, there was absolutely no excuse for me to underperform. And that's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to have. It's a lot of pressure, a lot of self-induced pressure. It's like I was carrying two, two sandbags on my shoulder the entire time. Yeah. Uh, I think the maturity allows you to kind of, uh, you, you kind of have, well, perspective. I understand yeah. these things are going to take time. You know, if you're building a business, it's going to take ten years. You can work twenty-four hours a day if you want, buddy, and all you know, all power to you. But regardless, it's going to take ten years. You can't. You're not in a, in a time machine. These things are just going to take time. Yeah, you've got, you've you've always got to you've always got to have your own lessons, right? Like you can watch as many self-help videos and listen to as many of these podcasts as possible, but. The, the ultimate experience is that is that true just expi- living it failing it repeating and, and actually learning from these things it's it, it's important to also have both sides of the coin almost but it's it's that emotional t- intelligence to spot it and say actually rather than quitting it's like okay what can I address to keep this part of me and, and actually move it sort of sort of forward in that in that sense in a in a previous life I used to work with ex-footballers and they're like sort of lower league so they would finish 34 35 36 and they were earning decent money and then all of a sudden they just didn't have anything to do because football was their life and they were like well i don't really want to be a coach so that was sort of like the the premise of what we were doing was like essentially giving them a career after sport but they just had nothing it was just football 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 and that that was it they had no outside sort of interest which was quite strange really because it's not like they're training 24 hours a day like you say so yeah it's yeah being all in it's and as well you you know with with regards to mistakes i've I've kind of always lived by the adage and I, i kind of came up with this in my 20s and it was you don't need to be smart enough to not make mistakes you just need to be smart enough to learn from the mistakes that you're inevitably going to make. Meaning you could read all the books you like. And for me, I was that guy. I, I, I read a- anything Stoicism, I read it. You know, Marcus Aurelius, Cicero, Seneca, you know, I ate the whole thing up. I thought I knew what Stoicism was. And the reality is I didn't because I hadn't lived it. And it was only then when certain things happened in my life that I had absolutely no control over I was then forced to execute stoicism in order to survive. And that's when I actually learned it. And it didn't come from any pages. It didn't come from any audible book or, or, or any video. It literally came from being in a situation where I was like, right, okay, I have no other option but in order to change my perspective on this thing. And that's when I learned stoicism. Um, you know, that, that, that's when say I don't know, like I know stoicism but that's for me when I I began to understand it yeah it's it, life's life's practical right you can't uh, live it in the live it in books you've just got to you've just got to live it so you've obviously taken that step now into uh, as an officer you've 
passed out, right? You're all, all official. Yep. So congratulations. Yep. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Talk, talk me through Sandhurst a little bit, as much as you can sort of go into, because it, there's obviously, again, pressures, wanting to achieve. Like you say, you'd only just, just made the cut. There's no second chance, because a month later, you'd be too old to go. So how are you feeling day one on, on, on that sort of side of things? Um, so for me, it was, it was interesting. I, I had a lot of uh, a lot of what we call G1 going on in the background. I had a lot of um, personal and social things that were going on in the background. Um, and for me, there was a huge element of imposter syndrome where when they accepted me, I almost didn't believe them. And this is, I think it's mainly because I had, you know, with regards to a lot of things I'd done in my life, I just simply didn't quite make the car, you know. Um, and you get to a certain point in your life where you, when you then receive this really, really good news, you kind of tend to be a bit like, ah, oh, I'm not too sure if this is, you want to double check this, there was a clerk error here or something. Um, I remember finding out about that, they got in, didn't really believe them. I even remember then driving up to the front gate and my parents behind me in the car, you know, 30 year old man, and they were still wanting to come with me, which is amazing, you know, it was like, they, they wanted to see me sort of go up the steps. And this was during the COVID time still. So they weren't allowed to come into the chapel and do the whole tour, but they could literally park up their cars, give me a hug and watch me walk up the steps. And I remember pulling up to the front gate and I said, oh, so say my name. So I was kind of off in here, you know, for the start, um, commissioning course, you know, 221. And I remember the, the guard at the gate, he looks at the list and goes, oh, I can't find your name. I thought, you know what, that's probably about right. Um, it probably was a mistake. I'll just make my way back. You know, it's fine. It's only an hour and a half drive. I, you know, it's fine. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, no, you are here. Let's me in. I'm driving through Sanus in my car and my parents behind me. And I'm literally looking at them going, oh, my God, they, they let me in. And then it even got to a point where I was walking up the steps and I was expecting somebody as I was walking up the steps to like rugby tackle me off the steps and be like, you know, intruder, you know, and uh, you, you're not supposed to be here. You know, you, you, we, we accepted you on a, on a gardening job. You know, you're not supposed to be actually doing the course. Oh yeah, fair enough. My bad, you know, my mistake. Um, you know, Sandhurst is, it's an absolute, um, it is a bit of a, a pressure pit. It's one of those things that anything you do in the army at the time seems like it's really, really difficult. Uh, and then what you do is you complete it and then you look back and you go, it wasn't that bad. It's, it's really, really bad for it. So we've even just uh, recently just finished um, the, uh, the infantry battle score and platoon commanders uh, battle course, which is, an, you know, it's a very arduous course and it's four months in the Brecon Beacons getting, you know, soaking wet and getting thrashed and not sleeping much and doing everything that's really not, not, not that fun uh, in order to get us sort of ready for, for platoon commander in, in the infantry. And it's one of the things at the time you're having a, the most god-awful time and then you'll be on, on the coach on the way back or you'll, you know, you'll get your sort of first first pint down at the weekends or something. You're telling you, hey, it wasn't that bad. And it's kind of the same with Sandhurst. I, I do look back now and I go, it wasn't that bad. But there were real times where, for me, what I was juggling outside of the army at the same time. So at the same time, I was going through um, a legal battle um, concerning my daughter and I was taking my ex-partner to court and representing myself whilst being at Sandhurst. Um, so for me, it's safe to say my cup was full um, and I had reached what we call my limit of exploitation. 
and there wasn't really much more I could take on. There were days where, you know what, I would lock the door to my room and I would probably just shed a tear and I was overwhelmed. I didn't really know what to do and I was exhausting all of my options. It was costing thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds in solicitor's fees at the start before I started representing myself. And again, that's something I'm very passionate about is eventually helping those um, do the same thing I did, but without going through solicitors and sort of creating a, a pathway for them to, to take. But I found that to be the biggest, the hardest part for me of, of Sandhurst, that the training is it's all consuming. You're there, you wake up in the morning, you know, you, you're, you're on parade at, at 0600 singing the national anthem. And then as soon as you finish singing the national anthem, you are against the cosh, you are against the clock. Uh, right up until 2300, 11 o'clock at night, you are doing either lessons or, or lectures or you're going. And it's very good, Sandhurst, that just completely consuming your time. And if you were to actually sit back and go, what have I, what have I actually achieved today? wouldn't be you know, necessarily quantifiable but what it's done is it's consumed you you've changed your order of dress dress five times a day so you've got three shirts to iron when you get back to your room you've got shirts to you know, shoes to ball you've got trousers to to get sorted and all that so what it does is it's very good at indoctrinating you into being busy perpetually uh, and always trying to maintain a certain level of appearance despite being absolutely exhausted despite you know completely not knowing what you're doing in all honesty most of the time and the army way of teaching you is very much like um, we'll teach you once and then we'll start assessing you on it you'll fail the initial assessment you'll be so stressed out about failing that assessment because the next one is your final chance and then you'll do the next assessment and you realize it wasn't that hard in the first place and you'll pass it with fine colors. And you'll go, what was all that about? But you do that for a year until eventually towards the end you start to realize the game. And you go, okay, I need to stop stressing out about these things. So what happens is you become a master at uh, spinning plates, having all these things going on at the same time. Um, but like the duck with its feet under the water, you're kind of looking and remaining quite calm. Uh, and that's what Sandhurst teaches you. It teaches you, you've got eight minutes to get to the mess hall, eat, queue up for your food, eat food, get back, change your uniform, you know, sign this form and get out on parade. Go. Okay. You know, and you get very good at dealing with that. So after a year, you kind of become a master at, at work. You can do the work. You can do the workload. Uh, and that was the biggest thing. We have regimental selection board, which is a very, very stressful period where effectively you are assessed. Um, I think by the time I got to my regiment, I think I worked out that I'd had 17 interviews by the time I actually got my my final job uh, with the Irish Guards. It's, it's, it's quite a, an arduous process if you think about it. It's quite, you know, it's, it's, yeah. that, that's quite intense. Um, having interviews with you know, uh, colonels and generals, and and they are assessing quite literally you inside now. Again, it's one of those things that you used to. It's really hard at the time. So, to sort of sum up, I would say Sandhurst definitely elevates you in that regard. It's uh, it's really interesting that you we've we've just been talking about living in the real world and and failing and 
that's literally how they how they do it in the army so one of the if not these most successful armies in uh, all of human history so so they must be doing uh, doing something right so yeah Get yeah, absolutely. yeah it's um the we have uh soldiers officers come from other other countries and they come and they train with us on occasions and they're always so taken aback by the amount of stress we put ourselves under seemingly you'd think for no apparent reason like this there's, there must be easier ways to do this but they don't really i don't say they don't care but they're not necessarily that bothered about how good you are in terms of doctrine can you um you know to the t do a set of orders or carry out an action what they care about is your capacity to function under pressure because the situations we find ourselves thrusted into is forever changing you know wars forever changing conflicts are forever changing and our jobs forever changing they just want to see your capacity for adaptation um, and if they can see that they go well the rest will come over time they'll figure it out or she'll figure it out um, so that's really what they're just trying to get at so you are yeah you are assessed to an, you know, to an inch of your existence nice well again congratulations it's not like you say not everyone makes it so yeah Congratulations for finishing. In you, you touched on it briefly. Um, you said you were sort of you had additional pressures as well, which some guys didn't have. Um, well, I imagine the majority didn't have any additional pressure. It was just solely doing Sandhurst. But there was a few things that you sort of mentioned there, and uh, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more of that side of things and sort of um, your next steps with it as well. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where. Um... You, you, you find yourself in a situation where um, I basically had had a, had a relationship um, with somebody, um, and that person, whilst they were they were pregnant, just decided that they didn't want that relationship anymore. Um, okay, that's that's that that's fine. Um, the army thing at the time was kind of burning in, in in the background, and I was kind of working towards it. I was doing the initial assessments. I was slowly progressing through it but initially it was just a pipe dream so what effectively happened to me was i i got zeroed you know i, I had um not a lot in terms of you know career and, and i had kind of sacrificed a lot in order in, into this individual and into this potential life and family and all that and one day somebody just sort of decided that it wasn't for them anymore and they just took it away and you know what you can't really be angry at that because okay it was a, an extremely it was probably for me an extreme low point um I really, really struggled at that time. Um, and, but in that, no matter how hard it was, and it genuinely was, I would say, the hardest period of my life, it, as, as cliche as it sounds, it, it, it genuinely taught me the best lessons I've ever learned. And during that period of time, I, was, I, I personally was very lucky that I had mentors in my life. You know, my, my, my best friend, he's a few years older than me, and he had been through something very, very similar. And so every time I didn't know what to do, I didn't know what to say, I didn't know how to approach this person, I didn't know how to how to go on, I would quite simply pick up the phone and he would say just the right thing. Uh, I had parents that were extremely supportive and they would say just the right thing. And that was actually genuinely what got me through. And then they'd all turn around and say, oh, you would have done it anyways, you would have got through it anyways, and you would have thrived anyways. And uh, I'm genuinely not sure if I believe them because it was, I distinctly remember all those phone conversations 
where I hit, I would hit a new low point where I really would start to lose faith. And it was their experience, you know, especially my friend's experience. We had been through it and he knew exactly what was coming around the corner. So he would pre-warn me and he would be like, right, you need to do this, this, and this, this, and this. And it helped me so much. And then the second thing that helped me was as I was going through this is when, when I realized that I need to pass my assessments. I need to get in the sandhouse. That was the only time in my life my back was really up against the wall and I needed to make something work. And it's something that I had lacked throughout my sort of very, very brief fighting career was I started fighting, had all the potential that you needed in order to, to, to go the distance. But I just lacked the motivation in terms of I lacked the necessity to, to compete. This was the first time in my life where I needed to make something work. And by God, was I going to you know, get it done? That then inspired me to um, really throw myself into what I was doing and probably against the odds then accomplish something and, and, and get into Sandhurst. You know, that was all going on in the background. And my daughter was born uh, two months almost exactly prior to me uh, joining Sandhurst. And it was very, very awkward because a lot of people would be like, oh, you've got a new daughter. They'd ask me questions. And, and the reality is I'd seen my daughter a handful of times because that's all I was allowed. And there was all this, these, these different things going on. And, you know, that, that person who was doing that to me uh, and only over time, you know, you realize that abuse can be done onto men, you know, as much as it can be done onto women. And that took me a really long time to actually realize that, that over a period of time I was actually being abused. But that person is that individual, you know, that, that was something else entirely. I wasn't too fussed with that. For me, you know, we, I alluded to it at the start of the podcast, you alluded to it, that focus, that purpose, you know, as soon as I knew that I had somebody that counted on me, it became so easy to be inspired. It became so easy to want to get things done. Um, so as much as it was a, definitely at times a distraction, you get extremely good at compartmentalizing these situations and going, right. So I kind of came up with a, with a format. And the format was, I do the best I can with what I have, right? There's only so much I can do. So I was in this situation where, as a man, what you want to do is you want to control absolutely everything that you touch. That's just man's nature. So when you come into a relationship, you want to provide, you want to do everything, you want to, you want to pay the bill, you want to pay the bill, you, you want to drive the two of you home, you want to make sure that person gets home safe and that they're provided for. It's not a dirty thing, it's just human nature. Now when somebody completely takes that away from you, and now you, they take away that capacity to do it for your, for your daughter, for your child, then the brain starts going absolutely mad, and it, just, and it literally just wants to implode. So I had to really, that's what I was alluding to earlier, with really learning stoicism. That's when I then had to really swallow the pill and go, okay, do the best with what you got at the time that you have it, and the rest now is just up to God. You just have to let it be. And I started uh, kind of utilizing that prior to Sandhurst in a big way. And I remember a really good conversation with, with my best friend. I was on the phone, and I was like, I don't know what I need to do. Should I just get in my car and, and, and drive to the house and try to rectify this and just try and figure out what's in this person's thought process? And he said, to, he just said to me, he said, Connor, do you want to join the army or not? Do you want to be an officer or not? I said, well, yeah. He said, then what you're going to do is you're going to put your phone down 
throw it down the stairs, whatever you need to do. So two hours. And you're going to open your books and you're going to study and you're going to prepare for two hours. And he said, and after two hours, then, then, then call me and see where your head's at and see if you still want to go down there and try and rectify it. He said, I bet you won't. And what you do is you become very, very good at going, okay, what do I actually have control over? Not very much. Okay, good. So the things I have control over is my perspective. And for me, it was like sending an email. So I send an email to a solicitor. I send an email here, try to arrange a visit, try to arrange a contact, try to do this, send some money, whatever I needed to do. Once that was done, was there anything else that I could have done? No. So there was no point me sitting there and stressing and being upset and crying about it. The best thing I then could have done next to that was try and be the best that I could at my job in order to excel, in order to create a life or a platform so that I'm then able to fight my corner and fight this this dragon that's guarding the princess, shall we say. The, you know, the knight needs to go away, he needs to sharpen his sword. If he just spends his whole time at the castle, he's not going to get anything done. He needs to go away, he needs to prepare, make himself strong. And then he needs to then, so then he can then eventually do what he needs to do. And that's what I found myself doing is like, okay, this is what I have, this is my situation as is. What can I do right now to rectify it? And anything else, I just have to let it, let it be and let it play out. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a tough, tough thing to 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 go through a, a breakup, but a breakup with, uh, like you say, something else that you were looking forward to this vision, this uh, sort of family that you created, I guess, as well. That once you sort of know, once lose both of like both of that, and that is, I I can only I can only imagine. Um, thankfully, I've not been. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't wish it on my genuinely wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. However, I think that it, and this is this is why it kind of comes up. This is the main reason why I find myself wanting to talk to people like yourself and, and do things like this is because of those individuals at that time that had the experience. And the experience is a big one. I think experience would have been my would have been my word next to uh, next to purpose. The next one is experience. That you know, what I would consider that makes a man. I wouldn't have had those individuals that had that experience at the time that were able to mentor me. I genuinely don't know how I would have got through it. So for me now, I look, I, I, I look around and I see men in a similar situation and they don't have those same, those same mentors. And I just instantly go, okay, how can I, how can I talk to them? How can I then now tell them that it will work out and it will all be okay or, or whatever. And you can see now why without the mentor, why people now get it so wrong. And it's, you know, can you really blame people? Um, but that's why mentorship and these types of things that we're doing right now, I think are just so important. Yeah, I think emotion is naturally going to be high in any of those scenarios. Um, I've, I've, I've been through a break breakup myself recently and your emotion, you're like, like you say, can I fix this? What can I do to sort of revert it? And they, that sort of plays in your head. You, what, what, there's so much waiting time um, from from that side of things and just letting things be. It takes experience is a great word. Calmness is, is really important, and I think the added pressure of essentially a bureaucratic legal system, which is designed to be painstakingly slow, will only sort of add to 
oh, yeah. add to those those pressures and, and that urge to do something as as a, a you like you say what can I control and trying to force things and thinking I guess thinking outside the box and trying to come up with a solution but that that experience and those mentors that you talked about allowed you to sort of be like I just got to wait now but I've done what I can do and the next thing is, is waiting which yeah it's, 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 it's so funny because literally right before everything sort of happened I remember I was reading the Count of Monte Cristo and I don't know if you're, you're familiar with the, with the story um, you know for those that don't know you've got uh, Dante who's this kind of young upcoming captain of a ship um, and this is said I believe in sort of like 1700s I believe France he's a, a, a captain of a ship young captain has a beautiful fiance everything's going well for him he's charismatic he's everything's going well uh, two people are very jealous of him one's jealous of his career one's jealous of his fiance they conspire a plot against him to get him effectively arrested for nothing one takes his job one takes his fiance and he's banished to this prison for no reason never gets told why and he gets banished there for years and years and years ends up making uh, meeting this this cardinal who educates him and teaches him the way of the land and ends up giving him this inheritance of this extreme wealth of on Monte Cristo so he ends up becoming the Count of Monte Cristo but I remember just reading that book you know his 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 revenge and the way he does things is just so 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 patient and he's able just to sit in this cell with his thoughts and just wait for his opportunity for his moment to to allow things to happen and I remember just reading this book thinking how on earth I can't imagine having this level of patience I can't imagine being this type of individual and not wanting to break out of the cell and do something. So, well, that cell does exist. It's just, like you said, it's the bureaucracy of uh, 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 a law system. Um, that's the confinement in which I'm, I work in on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And funny enough, this whole situation has brought me to a situation not too dissimilar from that. Where you're sitting there, and really the only thing I can do is I can just sit here, I can, well, I can moan about it, I can cry about it. That doesn't really change the situation. Anything that changes the situation for me now is just being patient and hopefully allowing the things that I've put in place now to eventually bear fruit and for things to work out happily ever after. Um, but it takes a lot. It really takes a lot. It really does. I think I think what's what's quite nice there is we we touched on it earlier about this like you, these young men turning up to uh, mixed martial arts and just being like I'm going to put everything into this and everything and everything and everything burning out and disappearing and sort of losing out on that dream not getting what they want in this position that you you found yourself in you've almost been able to take those experiences and, and use it to be calm and, and just allow it to run its course because like you say if you did something during that time it could have potentially ruin the the end of, of what that what that looks like so it's yeah it's sometimes it is very important to just sometimes you've got to set sell a v and you have to let people do people um the biggest one for me a takeaway word is expectation you just manage your expectation about things um it, it really does allow you to see uh, more good in, in, in certain things as, as they happen um, not expecting too much, you know. I've been to court now three times, um, 
due to potentially go back for 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 a fourth over this thing, and every time I've come away disappointed. Um, and that's just due to expectations. You know, you're expecting to go to court and the judge to go, that person did what? You know, the the, the, the gavel goes down and and everything's rectified and papers go in the air like legally blonde and and you know every, everything's fine and dandy. It's not the case. It's a very long, it's like pulling teeth. It's a long, arduous process where you very very small incremental gains. Um, and that's for me as a, a life uh, a life lesson that I would love you know to bestow onto younger men is that just level of patience and, and expectation like that, you know, even with MMA you know you know my, my biggest advice to people that want to compete in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu pack a bag in the back of your car or your mate's car or whatever competition bag that bag goes with you every single weekend to anywhere in the country where there is a competition. Win, rain or shine, you turn to the competition, you'll either win, lose, or you know, whatever. You'll have a bad day, you'll have a good day, one day you'll turn out you won't feel very well, one day one day you'll feel flat, one day you'll feel really energetic, one day you'll perform really well and you'll still lose. One day you won't perform and you'll still win. And all it is is just experience and it's just adding to that sort of paper mache of what you're event eventually going to be. For me, I was that guy who trained at a million miles an hour to do one competition a year that I thought I was going to win. Well, guess what? I, I didn't win the competition because I wasn't competing all the time. Yeah. I'd be devastated. That's not the way to do it. Drop the ego, be the fool, be the one who learns all the time. And just throw yourself into it and, and understand this is going to take a really, really long time. And you're going to look like an idiot, in your opinion, in your opinion, not others. You're going to look like an absolute idiot, noob, for a period of time. You just have to accept it, learn to love it, and eventually one day you'll be at the top of the game. You'll look around the room and go, oh my god, when did this happen? I feel like it was overnight. I'm now, I'm now the guy. That's just the way it works. Yeah, it's... Um... It's really nice. So like me, when I started this, it was like I had zero expectations of of anything ever happening. My whole goal was to just speak to people and hope that they just got some comfort out of having a conversation with with another man that they might not have been able to have had for whatever for whatever reason in the past. And obviously, it's I'm now speaking to more people and we're we're looking at a number of things but that was the that was the ultimate goal but you touched on something that was really nice and it's something that i've started to come to a realization as well which is like this i'm going to use the word mental health and this like sort of um ideology of it is like this curingness of it and being able to be just better and being always happy and that's just not the case and you summed it up really nicely with your uh, analogy there like you just gonna be turning up every day in life in general and you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days but it's how you react to all of that like if you become egotistical and uh, essentially un unenjoyable to be around when you're having a good day when you have a bad day you're probably not going to have the people around you to, to support you so it's it's that balance and again patience is a really nice word that we sort of uh, come come to um that just allow you to to live your life no matter what's sort of being thrown at you and that's sort of where i'm at now is like this uh contentment is probably a nice word as well it's like 
shit happens this life right um and it can be good and it can be bad and yeah i think it was it was nice that you sort of uh touched on that as well because for me that's yeah that's what i want to get out into the world is this stop looking over there stop comparing yourself to yourself just live your life and try and try and get some contentment in with it we i think the biggest one for me is we hear it all the time with you know men's mental health and I think sometimes the, the, the biggest thing for me is we're, we're trying a very, we think one, one, one size fits all in terms of what would help potentially um, females in order to get through certain things doesn't necessarily fit with men. And we're getting a lot of individuals that are coming from a, which I think is, is absolutely fine. I think that they're, they're definitely right to an extent is this kind of very, uh, a very feminized approach to men's mental health which is you just need to literally talk and be happy. It's like, well, happy is, a, a, is something that you can't really measure and it happy happiness is so fleeting and men aren't desiring happiness whatsoever. What they're desiring is fulfillment. They're desiring purpose. So for me, what men actually need is men need mentorship and they need a plan. They need a okay. So what do I actually need to do? And then when they have these moments that you, like you kind of allude, are alluding to, where you're kind of getting in your own head and, you, and you're, you know, that was the whole point of martial art. That's why you have a sensei. That's why you have a coach. It's because he's, he's walked the path that's trodden also. He knows what is, he knows what lies ahead of you. So he's able to give you wisdom. I think a massive thing we're lacking at the moment in, in modern society, especially in men, is wisdom. Is wisdom being passed down from person to person in order to enrich or help people in their lives. There isn't any. It's just, oh, just sit around, have a cup of tea and chat and cry about it. It's like, but men want answers. Men want solutions to their problems because men are uh, problem solvers. It's like when, when you're in a relationship, um, you know, the women are from Venus, men are from Mars argument where a man's constantly trying to solve his partner's problems. And she's like, I don't want to solve the problems. I just want to air them out. It's like, well, okay. Men don't necessarily get much from just airing things out. It's very good to get things off your chest. But men want somebody to wrap an arm around them and go, right, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get you out of this. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. And this is how you're going to get yourself to where you want to be. Um, for me, I've got like a, a lot of sort of tenets that I kind of tend to go to as like deadly sins as, as a, for, for a guy with regards to mental health now. And there's, there's things, that, there's rules that I kind of like to... Uh, live or like to abide by and I think the, the biggest one for me I think the one for men who are suffering with mental health the, the number one rule is I call it going for a walkabout and it's in every tribal uh, ancient culture there's a certain um, there's almost a ceremony of when a boy becomes a man what he does is he takes himself off into the wilderness for a period of time and goes and finds himself and goes and encounters struggle and strife that will change him forever. He goes away and he goes and gets his purpose. He goes and gets his fulfillment. He leaves the nest and he goes and does something worthwhile. And I would definitely recommend any any man who is currently suffering or is, is shall we say, uh, feels that there's a void that needs filling. 
is whatever you're scared of right now in life, genuinely, whatever you're absolutely shit scared of, sign up and go do it. Because for me, where your fears lie, where you where your discomfort lies, where you where, where you don't want to do things, that's absolutely where you should be. Um, I was shit scared of fighting, always was. I genuinely remember before one of my fights, standing at the top of a flight of stairs and thinking to myself, if I throw myself down this flight of stairs and break a leg, I won't have to fight tonight. That's how scared I was. Yeah. But as soon as I did it, it was the best decision that I ever that I ever made. You know, and I, and even now, what I do, this absolutely things now in my future that are are, are more risk averse than 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 getting a nine to five and, and sitting on the couch and all that. And there are sacrifices to make for it and, and, and everything. But I'm now looking for fulfillment rather than just like happiness. Yeah. Happiness is fleeting. Like I can go now and go get a McDonald's and go get a chicken Big Mac. I'll be really happy for a period of time. I, I'll be like a pig and muck. Yeah. But eventually the Big Mac will go. And I'm yeah. like, well, now what? Right? Whereas yeah. fulfillment, like for me, for example, having my daughter, that, that's fulfillment. That's everlasting. You know, at any one point, I'm I'm filled with love because of that. So I think that's the big one for me with regards to men's mental health is, I think we're approaching it from a very very, um, for me, a slightly different, a slightly wrong approach where we're just sort of trying to talk and not do. Because yeah, no, I I I agree with you. More. It's not working, right? It's not working because right now, you know, as we all know the statistics, you know the. You know, the thing that's going to kill statistically myself and yourself before we're 40 most likely is suicide yeah and it's like it's a horrendous stat now and everybody's like kind of talking about it a little bit and the band-aid we're putting on it is men just need to talk more yeah okay, well, men are talking more now and it's still going up and it's still happening so now what? And what we're actually dealing with, in my opinion, is an epidemic. Yet, what we're doing about it is, oh, they just need to talk more. It's like, no, no, that's not working. We need something. Uh, we need something that's actually gonna gonna solve the problem. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's like I, I get the, I get, I commute into, into the office twice a, twice a week, and the um, train station poster is um, a Samaritan's one. And it says, Gary, there's always someone there to talk. I'm like, I know many Garys, and Gary is the epitome of a man that doesn't want to talk. Like yep. he's, he's the opposite of a man that wants to talk. So it's quite, um, I guess, I imagine they chose that name for that reason, that they wanted like this older generational yeah. name to it. But it, for me, it stands out as like, that's the one man that's never going to talk. Um, yeah. So. And, it, and it, t it tells you the level of actual emotional intelligence of these sometimes organizations where you think you're so off the mark. And it's again what we're speaking about comes in, in around, around the circle with regards to teachers. How can you be a teacher and be so off the mark? And you get it with these organizations as well. You know, you'd be so off the mark. What men need, and this is where, you know, Andrew, people like, uh, figures like Andrew Tate come in is that you know a lot of what he says is really against the mark and is really um, should we say uh, very controversial 
But a lot of what he says is look after yourself, be healthier, improve yourself. And actually that that resonates in young men. And someone who's probably better at it is somebody like Jordan Peterson, who literally tells men to kind of take responsibility and be that don't be afraid to be that strong character and tidy yourself up and dress better and speak properly and educate yourself and and all of a sudden now men have this and I'd be lying if I hadn't said that he genuinely helped me in some moments in my life where reading his literature was like oh okay I, I, I need to turn a corner I need to sort myself out here that helped far more having a friend who had experience having uh, a father who had experience helped me far more than me just quite simply having a chat with somebody on the phone who I don't know who can't really actually appreciate or empathize with my situation and that's what men need. Men need legitimate role models who have experience, who legitimately care about them, and are able to say, right, you know, pull up a sandbag. This is how it's going to be. This is what you need to do. Take note. Yeah, definitely. I think the the talking side needs to be like, this is my problem. Like. Have you ever come across anything like this before? What have you done? How did that work for you? Like, like let's share those ideas, not let's just, oh, yeah, bad, mate. bad day, mate. Yeah. yeah, it's and the whole thing with, you know, it's it's okay to cry and, and all that. I, I think it's really good. I, I think it's good to be to be healthy and to be, and to, to not bottle things up and to kind of identify that you're not okay with yourself. And that's really, really good and that's really healthy. However, just sort of sitting there and crying about my problems isn't going to rectify my problems. No. You know, I, 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 want, I want solutions to my problems. And me sitting at home, you know, crying about it into a Chicago town frozen pizza is not going to get me out of this, this, this hole that I'm in. Yeah. And for me, in my, my situation, I found myself in a, in, a, in a very, what could have potentially been a very, very dark spot. What did I do about it? Well... I pulled up my socks and I said, actually, you know what? I'm going to throw myself into this. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to improve my situation because then that will, that will get me closer to being out of this hole. Um, but it really could have gone both ways, Lewis. It really could have gone both ways because I was very lucky that I had people in my life at the right time. Yeah, it's it's, it's so true. I mean, the, 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 the biggest issue that I, I sort of see is that it's a bit like the problem in society is like well you might get to that point of something that someone else has got that's just off their shoulder water off their back they never have an issue so i i'm more about that if you are in that position it's irrelevant how you got there it's exactly what you say it's like right i, I described it in one of my first first ever episodes is like you're falling off a cliff right you're just falling um, and it, it doesn't matter how deep in that cliff you are, you've got to throw a hand, you've got to throw a, a hammer into it, you've got to grab hold and then go, right, this is bad, but how do we get back up here? Not just be like, oh, I'm going, right, that's, uh, which it's, is, can it's lead to It's like self, um, I mean, you are completely, it's self-indulgent to allow, to allow yourself to, fall to that that depth is self-indulgent and that's not to say I haven't been guilty of it like loads of times especially as a young man I, I was Mr. Self-indulgent and I was I was absolutely I would say in a lot of respects 
a complete narcissist from you know being in this 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 depth of really what it was was you know d- depression and, and, and hitting these low points and all that and funny enough now you know I found myself in a situation that was far organically far worse than any situation I've ever been in but I dealt with it a thousand times better and the reason for that was it was perspective because I wasn't being self-indulgent I couldn't be self-indulgent why because it wasn't about me anymore it was about a little girl that I had to kind of square myself away for and for me that's why the whole situation has given me far more than I I could than it's ever really taken from me, even though it's taken a, a it's, it's pound of flesh. And I think when I see it in young men, and they are being self-indulgent and they're just thinking about about themselves and how bad the situation is, I'm like, oh, your situation is bad, is it? And that's what's good about the army is that they put you into these situations where you are at the time truly miserable, and they train you to be to almost see it comically. And they say it to you all the time, they're like, this is miserable, you're cold, wet, hungry, tired, everything, you know, you've slept 40 minutes in three days, you know, you're under pressure, blah, 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 blah. You'll look back at this as the best time of your life. And at the time, you're like, F off, absolutely no way, this is the most miserable time ever. Now, you look back and you go, you know what, I'd I'd kill to be back with the lads doing that. Rado, do you remember that, with that? That guy broke his ankle. Oh, it was a great time, you know. You know, you're like you're, you're thinking about it with rose-tinted glasses um, because the well gets deeper. Your well gets deeper through experience. And again, that's why I would always petition. I'd always beat the drum for young men. Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm a bit lost. What scares you? What scares you right now? What would literally give you butterflies with fear and excitement? Oh, it's this. Go do it. Yeah. And your your well will just expand and your capacity to deal with these things that actually are really remedial. Like they're they're, they're really low level stuff. Yeah. Not a problem. Not a problem whatsoever. Oh, money issues, place to live, or what the army teaches you is is that worst case scenario, you know, sleeping at rough actually isn't that bad. I'll survive. Yeah. All all of the worst all of the worst things that could possibly happen, you'll survive it. You'll be fine. You're, you're, you're made out of tougher stuff than you think. And I'm a huge proponent for a lot of young men if they're thinking about joining the military to do it because people inside the military is quite ironic. You see, you know, young soldiers or whatever, and they're quite disenfranchised and they're a bit like, you know, I'd like to go back to the civilian world. But you don't realize what the army's given you and you won't realise it until you go back into the civilian world and you'll be like this is this is easy like, this is horizontal like, what, yeah. what's going on and I see a lot of young men now who don't necessarily have the capacity to deal with problems and I'm only saying that because I, I was one of them you know being 22, 23 living at home oh broke up my girlfriend world ended world yeah. crumbled she was the best ever i'm never going to do better you know i'm i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna kill i'm gonna i'm gonna end it because you know it's just it's just so bad you then get to 30 and you've done all this stuff and you go wow that's nothing water off a duck's back we can survive that 
yeah you know because you can survive all of these things as well that you know in your list of things that you can survive that's like down there it's easy yeah um and i think that's why men need mentorship that's why men need experienced characters that's why we tend to gravitate towards your david goggins type characters your jocko winning type characters um because these men have been in the arena so when when you hear them talk and you're like oh Jocko, like I'm a skinny guy and I've got no self confidence, and so, you know, get him, get amongst it, big guy. You know, get amongst <laughs> it, and, you know, take control. And then the young man goes, okay, yeah, well, that's all. That's all he needed. He needed like you know five sentences to be like sort yourself out, sort your shit out, do this, sort this out, and you're away. And they're like, brilliant, and and off they go. Uh, and I think that's what we need, especially at the moment in the UK, is uh, you know, people who are who from from the UK who are these influential characters who are able to do it in a British way, yeah. not you know, a running shirtless down the road screaming profanities. Which yeah. I think it's great. It inspires me, hundred yeah. percent. Maybe that's not the market here. I don't know. Uh, is no, there another way of doing it? I think. <sighs> Um, again, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm inspired by those people. I think they've got great stories. That was one of the reasons that I wanted to do this with everyday men. It was that it was getting uh, parallels. Like not everyone's ran a hundred miles um, through the desert um, with no water, and yeah, done some crazy stuff. And they're great stories, and they're inspiring. But sometimes they're almost so out of reach that some, some some men not necessarily just british men i just for me i'm looking at like the the 95 the 90 percent of men and like that might not even have aspirations of, of these grandeurs or, or these great things they might just want to get to a certain point and want to find happiness within their arena and and that's one of the reasons that i wanted to do it with sort of everyday men so to speak rather than superheroes or, or people that have achieved achieved great things but i think some of the things that you're saying are, are, are so on point and so valuable uh go and do stuff go and experience life at least you'll have some stories worst case like that's the uh a, a motto from a, from a film somewhere i think but uh <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's so important to do. I think I've I've um, this is all new to me. I'm no no expert in in any way, shape, or form. I'm just I'm enjoying the enjoying the whole thing. Really, it's it's great to see, and I'm hoping that we can make some dents into this crazy world that is. But one of the things that I've sort of recently discovered is you see these like big people and, and these influencers right now and the majority of them is around sort of like uh picking up women essentially it's like if you do this and you're hyper successful and you're in great shape you'll uh you'll be they'll be swarming at you and uh the i think actually andrew tate or tristan one of those two again it's a snippet that gets lost because they do so much crazy stuff in between i think they said look all that does is it gets you a ticket ticket for the table you've got to have other things about you you've got to have other other things if you're just going to be a rich guy that's in great shape you're just 
irrelevant because there's going to be so many other people with so many other things as well. So the irony is it that if you uh, if that's your ultimate goal as a 18, 19 year old, then go do some stuff, get some stories as well. 100%. It, it makes you incredibly valuable. And I think where I think where that those guys become very influential is because they talk about value. And unfortunately, we probably should just come to accept it, that men are valued on a, on a certain scale. It's not really going to change anytime soon. We can try and train it out of people. We can try and teach it out or whatever. But effectively, that's that's what it comes down to. You know, your your personality is really going to get you so far on on, on both ends of the spectrum, on on both sides. Um, I think in terms of learning how to become more valuable as a male, I think. Um, has its place and has its importance. What I also think is really important, and it's not really spoken about too often, is how to... I, I, so I think men aren't, aren't educated in the ways of... Um, in terms of ways of relationships, in the ways of what the whole space looks like. I think we as young men go into it very, very blind. And I think we commit loads of sins throughout relationships in terms of things that you really shouldn't do whether that's something that just isn't good for the relationship or should we say something that will make you less valuable to your partner therefore more likely to experience heartbreak or potentially you know lose somebody that you actually like you know people can't help it if they're not attracted to anymore right that's just, that's, that's not their fault they're not bad people um and you're not a bad person for doing things that make them not attracted to you. However, what we can do is, I, I really think, again, through mentorship, men can help each other in relationships. Women talk about relationships. They talk about men a lot. They talk about dynamics, and they give each other advice a lot. And for me, one thing I learned very early on was like, if I have certain female friends, they gave me the best advice in terms of relationships, more so than any men. We were clueless. We were completely clueless. But the women were completely switched on. And when you're having a conversation with a girl over, you know, there's a text message or anything like that, you're not necessarily just having a conversation with her. You're having a conversation with her and her friends. So it's like four brains versus one. And you as a, as a, as a guy are just completely, you know, you're out of your depth. Yeah. I don't think men need mentorship in order to just become, you know, more valuable or whatever. And what they can do is, because let's be honest, a lot of what we're talking about in regards to, um, you know, male suicide, which is just such a huge problem, a big part of that is relationships. And a lot of these suicides do come off of the back of ending of a relationship for a lot of men. A lot of men lose hope at the back end of a relationship. Okay, so smoking gun backwards, how can we try and rectify this situation how can we try and help these people in these well what you can do is you can try and help men identify certain should we say red flags in relationships where it isn't going to be healthy for them where you can help a man save himself before he's you know before he throws himself away or into something that isn't going to bear fruit you can pre-warn somebody so for me in my situation you know i knew what was happening was I knew the writing was on the wall, let's say, before it actually happened. And that allowed me to prepare. That allowed me to sort of put things into place that meant that when it inevitably did happen, 
I just wasn't completely destroyed. And that all came from friends of mine that had been in similar situations that were like, just an FYI, mate, this is what's going to happen next. No, no way. No way. That next thing happens. FYI, this is not going to happen. Okay, then I started believing the system again. Okay, this is probably what's going to happen next. Start preparing. And then all of a sudden, you're not knocked back when these things happen, right? I think that's what men need. You don't necessarily need pickup artists. You don't necessarily need, um, you know, more more plates, more dates, or, or whatever. Like, and they all have their place. Yeah. I'm not saying they're like, you know, they are satanic and they need to be abolished and all that. If you want to go watch that, then you go watch that. I just think men right now need mentorship in these situations as opposed to what you need is to get jacked or a V-cut t-shirt, get to a nightclub and try to try to get the highest in terms of a false ranking system, the highest level of female that you can try and guess it. Probably not best. Maybe try and find somebody who's got good values. Maybe try and find somebody who's in the same level as you. You know, X, Y, Z. Okay, now what do I do? Right, well, you probably need to make sure that you are now taken care of on your side so you can now provide for that relationship and you can be the best person, version of yourself for that other person. Okay, great. Now we can go from there. That, that I think, saves men. I think that will give men probably what they actually need, what they actually are craving, is that little bit, again, guidance and mentorship. Yeah, sort of uh, coming back to all that. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a minefield. And I think, yeah, like you say, you you, you just go through them pretty much on your own, really. And uh, yeah, I think the only words of wisdom that most men get is, plenty more fish in the sea or uh, the next one will be better type thing it's uh... and it's not it's, it's, it's not the way to go it's, it's absolutely not the way to go um, we are completely getting it wrong in that regard at the moment um, but also as well you know relationships are relationships and you were speaking earlier on about this sort of will and has all the segments you know if a relationship ends and you are completely devastated and you're left picking up the pieces maybe that segment was a little bit too big compared to the other seven uh, maybe you needed to reduce that and maybe you were losing yourself and usually off the back of a relationship like that where somebody kind of pulls the rug out from beneath you is then when you turn around and realize oh yeah maybe i used to do this i used to do this i used to be you know i used to go here i used to talk to this person i don't talk to that person anymore i don't go here anymore i don't do that thing i used to do and you realize that I think the, the, biggest, the biggest sin for me, men in relationships, is just completely losing yourself in that relationship. I think it's absolutely fantastic to be in love. I think it's absolutely fantastic to find that. And if you find it, brilliant. I just think the best thing for you is to maintain your, your, your frame as an individual and who you are. Um, and, I th- and I don't think a lot of men do that. They don't, and again, it comes from mentorship and guidance in terms of mental health and having that conversation you know for example somebody was to call the Samaritans and be like you know my, my girlfriend's left me and da, 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 da. well it's nice to sound that out but also it'd be nice to hear on the other end of the phone somebody saying okay well this is the situation this is what's happened da, 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 da. but actually you have this actually you have that actually you can just do this and actually you'll be back on track in a very short period of time 
But in my case, it's, it's not so bad now. Yeah, I know yeah. it's not so bad. Move on, you know. Um, heartbreak will be heartbreak, and, and it's, a, it's a rubbish thing to have to deal with no matter what, no matter who you are, I don't care. Um, but having that little bit of, of guidance and structure, I think, helps so many men pull out of the abyss, shall we say. Yeah, definitely. I think I think you're right. I think my my sort of I'm moving away from from mental health. I think it's it should be a byproduct. You will be in a good mental state based on the actions that you put forward. So for me, my sort of looking at this is like, yeah, what what can you do today that allows you to be in a good mental state? So when you have bad days and good days, you can react responsibly and effectively and not let it ruin your life and not take you further down. And I think the talking is exactly what you're saying. It's almost like a an ideas pit. It's like, have you tried this? You could do this. Let's look at this. Let's do this. And then it's a, that's the conversation rather than here's my problem here's my problem great see you later um so yeah i'm i'm all, I'm all for that i think that's a it's, a it's a good it's a good angle to sort of sort of go down so it's not it's not it's not a it's not a disease that is chronic in the sense of you know it's not like a a, a meeting or a gathering of people that have a have a disease that they're they're going to they're going to eventually die from so you, yeah. so you you know you're going to come and just sort of exchange ideas or like ideas wrong. You're going to just exchange your experiences and kind of get it off your chest and learn to accept your your lot. It's not you don't need to accept your lot. Sounding out, so do anything. You can completely change your situation. You can change your life. Um, so there needs to be less. There needs to be less saying. There needs to be more doing. And once people realise that if they just do things and they get themselves out of the situation. If you're depressed and you're in bed every day, we've all been there. You're waiting for that day, you know, that, that kind of, that day, you know, I always compare it to when uh, Charlie brings home the golden ticket and his uncle just jumps out of bed and he's completely cured. Um, you're waiting for that day of, that moment of inspiration where you just wake up one day and you go, you know what, I'm now inspired. So it, it, it's not how it works. It's a much more manual thing. And the way you do it is, is you, you wake up you have a shower, you shave, you fight against that dying of the light, you fight against that that wave. And eventually you just keep doing those steps day in, day out, day in, day out. Eventually you're back in six months' time to go, Oh, I made it. But yeah, it was it was incremental. It's uh it's so important. I mean the army obviously teaches that as well, but self-discipline is is so key to this and it's it's not as difficult as people make out it is like you just, for me i was like there was the, yeah I, I just i was just i was just existing like i wasn't doing anything bad i wasn't like not i was just not existing and that wasn't me and yeah i just looked in the mirror one day and was like probably should do something now like we're not achieving anything anymore you've in your 30s like it's been six months since you turned 30 like the business failed get over it just do something else right 
And actually what you have, again, perspective comes into it. There's not really too much now that I would say sort of, you know, touch wood comes my way where I don't just sort of see it as, okay, well, this is actually, there's the, there is a reason for this. Um, and it is absolutely going to lead to better things. Like the amount of times, again, you know, you use the analogy of a relationship, a, a relationship will end and you're like, oh my God, that person was the best person ever. And then, you know, you, you move on and you, you just don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's around the corner in regards to business and, and, and work. You just don't know what's around the corner. And what you realize is when you actually look at these really successful people and you see such a snippet of their existence on, on social media, what you don't see is the thousands of failures throughout their life. The thousands of moments where they were completely down and out and had absolutely no, no inspiration, had no hope. They, they edit that bit out of the Instagram, not on purpose, but this is their life now. And yeah. when they were back struggling, they didn't have a camera on them filming them 24 7 because that's not the person you want to film right yeah but they went through that and one of the best pieces of advice i ever heard was it takes 10 years to become an overnight success yeah it's just so true it's just so true it is yeah so i want to i want to sort of um move on to like the what's next for you you've obviously talking about um, army is full time job now. You've passed out, and yeah. you you touched on the mentorship right at the the beginning of something you were doing, and also the what you're going to put in place for hopefully for men, um, sort of in similar positions to yourself, because you're obviously self representing now. So let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. So what I'm looking to do is effectively create a blueprint for men who find themselves in a similar situation. And the reason for that being is, is that I, I was relatively passionate about that sort of subject before everything that happened happened. And then upon everything subsequently happening, I then started sharing my experiences very, in, in a very, very kind of small way. Um, it was then, once I'd done that, I realized just how many people shared a similar experience and that actually what we're dealing with at the moment is an epidemic and if I was to say to you so say to any person I say you know I could take away your liberty I can take away your freedom your 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 education your your money if I was to take away your children that's that's the worst thing you could ever take away from an individual and one question I tend to ask people quite regularly is can you tell me the difference between that and a form of oppression because really what you're doing is, is you're going up to a demographic of, of individuals and you're saying you can't have your children and we're going to take this amount of money away from you and we're going to take these rights away from you as well and you can't do this and you can't do that and you have to be here at this certain time and you have to do this and nobody can really distinguish between that and oppression. So upon that, I just thought, well, we seem to have a bit of an epidemic here. Again, men's mental health, suicide. And one thing that's not really helping men at the moment is is the, the law. Uh, uh, our system at the moment, in all honesty, is broken, to say the least. 
Um, it's run by people who have effectively no empathy towards the plight of single fathers or single parents for that matter. And when I got to a point where I was now like you know, 17,500 pounds into solicitor's fees, and I hadn't even been to court yet, and I get another invoice for another set of emails, it was at that point I realized that something needed to be done. And so what happened was that I started representing myself and I started talking to uh, solicitors, barristers, anybody that I could speak to in order to gain any piece of information. How do I fill in this piece of paperwork? And what I actually came then to realize was is that family law is qu quite possibly the, I'm using my words carefully here, you know, family law is making a lot of money from the plight of others and it's making a lot more money than it needs to. In the sense of once I realized, well, once I started representing myself and I knew what to do at the right time, I realized what I was paying for was effectively an email chain. But you have to be very careful because you're emailing other representation. So all of a sudden, you know, you're having arguments or long-winded arguments, picking apart evidence and choosing words correctly with other representative solicitors. That took a little bit of getting used to. And actually, in all honesty, Sandhurst helped me with that incredibly, the way I was able to present myself and present an argument and, and analyze information and, and all that kind of thing. So for me, what I'm looking to do in the future now is to create and come together with, with other people who are, should we say, more ex experts in the film, but as effectively create a blueprint for, for single fathers to be able to represent themselves or at least take the first step towards being able to represent themselves and see their you know uh, should we say right the wrongs of, of of what's currently happening because yeah you know what loads of men across the country are suffering and it's pushing them towards the edge and it's breaking them and people don't have seventeen thousand pounds and you shouldn't have to pay seventeen thousand pounds you shouldn't have to pay a penny to see your child because not only is it your human right, but it's your child's human right. So what you have at the moment is an epidemic of men who can't see their children and you have seen an epidemic of children who can't see their fathers. And what we're realizing is, is that actually the biggest loser out of the whole thing is, is the children. Because statistically, by removing the father from a home, whether it's whether the parents are separated or even if the father is, shall we say, not the most standout citizen in the world. Statistically, they're better off having him around. So really, only the children are, are, are missing out. And it's something that I've become quite passionate about. So what we're looking to do in the future is effectively create a how-to guide. What that looks like is potentially a, a video series where it's not too, shall we say, literature-heavy. And that will come down to literally the way you conduct yourself, the way you speak to your ex-spouse, the way you conduct contacts with your child, the way you conduct negotiations and communication with other solicitors, the way you conduct yourself at, at court, the way you contact the court. All of these little things, they, they need to be spoken about uh, that will set somebody up for success. Um, you know, our, our system was created to, to protect um, was to to protect people. I think it definitely does its job in doing that. But unfortunately, it doesn't 
did not foresee the nature of humans in the sense of that they would be willing to exploit the system. And right now what we have is a, a lot of individuals who are willing to exploit the system. Uh, so hopefully by creating this, I realize that I can't change the, the, the law. The only law I'm be looking to change is the law concerning uh, fathers being present on a child's birth certificate. So right now, uh, um, a woman can have a man's uh, child. He could be fully wanting to be involved. He could be fully wanting to be a part of that child's life, etc. She doesn't have to include him on the birth certificate. Therefore, completely deny him parental responsibility. Nobody wins there. That, that's that, that, that's not a good move. Um, so I'll be looking to, in due course, start a, a petition or try and get that law changed. Um, that's something that I think is the first step towards a, a better future in this situation. Um, but with regards to that, I really think I I, I don't have the capacity to, to change all these laws and, and walk into the House of Commons and, unless I eventually make Prime Minister, which I very much doubt I ever will. But what I can do is I can try my best to arm fathers with the information again, mentoring, guidance, that will effectively set them up for success. So they can actually go, you know what? I hadn't I haven't seen my daughter for six months. But through this I can now see her once a fortnight. It's not ideal, it's not perfect, yeah. but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. It's a um it's a it's a game you have to play. You can't change the rules, unfortunately. It's uh, 100%. And what men tend to do, and it's a narrative you hear all the time, what men tend to do is they become exhausted. And I, I, I've had it. You know, I, yeah. I've, I've had it where I've, I've had my daughter and she doesn't see me very often. Well, should we say nowhere, nowhere near as often as one would like. And therefore, she isn't as comfortable with me as she should be. And I've yeah. had her over, and she's been visibly uncomfortable for the majority of, of the time. So me as a father, me caring for her, I go, well, logically, it's now better off if I don't see her because she seems stressed. Yeah. So I, I don't want her to be stressed. So therefore, what happened is, is that I'll just say, you know what, Listen, I won't see her because I don't want her to be stressed. Yeah, but actually, what it is, it's the other person's created an environment to try and set you up for failure, and has actually allowed that child to be be stressed in order to win. And as tough as that may be, again, mentorship guidance—you can talk to a man who goes, "Yeah, happened to me. We need to do X, Y, and Z. This will help placate that that problem." And you can't you can't tap out you can't bow out and what i'm seeing a lot of is i'm seeing a lot of good good men bowing out and as soon as you bow out you then become the bad man because once you bow out that person now has the child completely at their mercy and then they can tell them whatever and you can't really defend yourself because you yeah. you left you left so i think the biggest one there is sort of effectively training men to hold on even if by their fingertips very much like I, I've done in the past um, you really hold on by the skin of your teeth train yeah, them to be able to do that it's important not to I mean I imagine there's like you say a lot of like lost hope or just 
feel like they're doing the right thing for their um, daughter or or son and and think that that's the right decision but you fast forward 10-15 years and they become young adults and you've not even got a chance of getting back there because like you say it's gone Uh, and yeah hold, hold on and things will sort of get better and I think like like you've touched on before, not daft kids. Um, they soon they soon realise what's what's good. Uh, they understand. So and that right there is experience. And and that right there, even you saying that, some people don't know that necessarily. And even hearing that as a father, and I, I've I've been told that several times. And sentences like that genuinely give give me hope, which is good for me but it's mainly good for my daughter because it means yeah. I'll stay in the game longer right and I think those those little those little gems that you just alluded to there um, they are what men need they are what men need um, more so than having a chat yeah exactly I'll, uh, I'll clip that one up <laughs> first clip in um, so yeah, I think I think it's a great it's a great thing. I've um, after after this, I'll I'll let you know about something that I worked on many years ago. Um, it was more geared towards sort of everyone, uh, both sides of the both sides of the table. But um, I'm sure, yeah, I'd love to uh, have that sort of information. It's not relevant to this this podcast at all. It's uh, more more useful to you. So I won't go into I won't bore people with it. But I'll speak to you after about it. Yeah, great. So yeah, I'm, I've 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 seen I've seen it from uh, all angles, um, and yeah, I do think it's a really important thing that needs broaching. It's very illogical at times. It's designed to protect, and then yeah, like you say, it creates a minefield in a game. So yeah, I think it's going to be a a very powerful tool for for people to use, and, and hopefully keep some more good men in the game as you if you like to say so I'm, uh, look forward to, to seeing the result and if I can hold on yeah absolutely it's, it's a whole other podcast in itself that one yeah that most definitely yeah um so Connor I, I genuinely really appreciate your time this evening it's been it's been great uh, it's been it's been fun it's been emotional um, <laughs> and yeah I've learned a lot I can't wait to uh, I'm going to get you to mentor me as well I feel like you've uh, Oh, mate, uh, abs- uh, mentorship goes both ways as well, remember, so yeah. vice versa. Um, I think anybody who has experience in anything, there's certain things that I've got experience in and then there are other things I've got I'm sure I'd love to pick your brains about. Awesome, cool. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, leave the, uh, I'll leave the floor to you. Is there anything that you want to specifically end on, anything you want to sort of summarise or, or wrap up on? Um, yeah, I mean, n- nothing in particular. I think it's just, um, you know, find wh- whatever whatever you are afraid of, just steer towards it and let, uh, let God do the rest. You know, whether you're a religious person or not, you just have to uh, allow things to play out. And if you're really stressed about something now and you feel like the world's upon you, um, honestly, wait it out. You know, 20, in, in 24 hours a lot can change your life can change uh, and you'll be looking back thinking why on earth was I stressed about that thing um, 
your your time will come absolutely you just have to just have to keep keeping the game as we keep saying perfect i've literally got nothing to add uh, so yeah thanks once again and uh, i'll see you guys in the next one